This is the last day of, of what's known in the church as the season of Epiphany that ends at kind of the Christmas season and goes all the way to today. Next week, or, or this coming week rather, we start the season of Lent on Ash Wednesday, and I do hope you can join us uh, for, for worship, and we're doing uh, Ash Wednesday two ways. Um, if, if you're not able to join us for our evening service at 7 in the historic chapel, uh, Miss Joanne and I will be on the front lawn from noon to 2, giving, uh, you could call it, ashes on the go. Uh, but it's, it's a time to, to, um, to receive ashes, to be reminded of our own brokenness, our own need for God's grace, and it's a time to, to commit ourselves anew to, to the Christian life in the season of Lent. So I do hope you can join us for that. But now today, uh, we, we uh, have the story of Jesus' transfiguration, and um, we turn to Matthew's gospel, the 17th chapter, beginning with the first verse. I invite you to listen for God's word. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from a cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You know, like many of of you, my family loves going on trips, and we often do these trips with our extended family, with grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and whatnot. But any time after one of these trips, or even when grandparents just come to visit, my children will, will almost, on, uh, almost on point, like scheduled like a watch or a, a book, like the bell in the courthouse, they'll say, why can't this last forever? Why can't we stay here? Why can't we always have grandma and grandpa with us? Why can't we stay here on vacation? It's a common human feeling, Right? wanting a, a good moment to keep on going, to last forever. It's one of those mountaintop moments, right? We all know that we have to come down from the mountain at some point to get either, whether it's back from vacation or visit with family or friends, um, but it's important to, to relish that mountain as well, that mountaintop moment. In our reading today, we have a bit of a mountaintop moment, don't we? Jesus goes up the high mountain with his He probably wouldn't call them his three favorite disciples, but they seem to be the three that go with him when it's not the whole 12, Peter, James, and John. We don't know what high mountain this is. Matthew just tells us it's a high mountain. 
And this should get our antenna going up as readers, right? Whenever um, somebody goes up a high mountain in the Bible, that's the place they're most likely to have some kind of encounter with the divine. We saw it in our first reading where, where Moses goes up Mount Sinai to receive the, the law on tablets. Um, and so there's no surprise when Peter, James, and John go up the high mountain with Jesus that something magical and otherworldly happens where Jesus is transfigured. It's an odd word in our world today, right? We don't really say transfiguration, but literally it means to be changed. The Greek word there is metamorphosis, a word you science folks would know well. Jesus metamorphosized, was transfigured on the mountain. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became dazzling white. Wait, it's not over. He's not alone either. There beside him are Moses and Elijah, two of the giants of the Old Testament. Moses, the very pinnacle of the law. Elijah, the epitome of the prophets. So there with Jesus in the middle of them are the law and the prophets. The clearest example yet to the disciples that Jesus is the culmination and fulfillment of everything God has been up to. The law and the prophets come together in this person of Jesus. And the disciples glimpse this for the first time. They see it in the clearest light. So clear, so bright that it's almost blinding. It's a good moment, right? It's so good, Peter wants the moment to last. He says, hey, Jesus, I can make some some tents here. We can can set up shop here and, and make this moment last. You can't blame Peter for that, can you? After all, Peter really needed a win in this moment. Just before our story, Peter had quite a whirlwind experience as a disciple. It started in the last chapter in Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Peter's answer, for who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus is identified as the Messiah for the first time, and it's by Peter. He gets the disciple gold star award, but it doesn't last long. Because soon after that, Jesus will tell the disciples what that means that he's the Messiah, that he'll be betrayed, arrested, crucified, died, and then will rise again. Peter says to that, God forbid it, Lord. Peter's gold star goes away. As Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus rebukes his his former star disciple in this moment. Peter kind of needs a win here. Can you see it? So he wants this moment to last. He wants to build these booths. Matthew's community needed a win, too. They needed this glimpse of glory as well. Just a reminder, Matthew writes his gospel some 40 or 50 years after Jesus' life and ministry. Now, there's a whole lot of chaos and conflict going on in the world at that time, particularly Matthew writes his gospel in the aftermath of Jerusalem being utterly destroyed by Rome. But there's a bigger issue that comes to light here as Matthew writes. The early church community thought that Jesus' second coming, his return, would be soon, really soon. So go a few more decades later to when Matthew is writing, and the people are getting impatient. 
as they're seeing horrible things happen on earth, as they're seeing conflict and division, even within their own houses of worship, they start to get a little discouraged. Just like Peter, they need a win. They need this glimpse of glory. They need to see clearly who God is for them in Christ. And friends, it goes without saying that the church today, and I don't just mean our congregation or denomination, the church, capital C, Christians here and all around the world need a win today as well. We live in a time of deep chaos and conflict, a time where there are mass shootings and pandemics, a time where we can't agree on virtually anything. We need a win. We need a glimpse of God's glory. Just like Peter, just like Matthew's community. Thankfully, friends, that's exactly what the transfiguration is. If you keep reading in our story, what happens next? As Peter goes into his well-intentioned diatribe about building the three booths, something happens. He's interrupted by God. The voice from above, booming from the cloud, interrupts Peter's speech to say some familiar words. This is my son, my beloved. With him I am well pleased. The very words God says at Jesus' baptism. But there's something added to it, right? After this, he says, listen to him. God identifies God's own son in Jesus and then tells the disciples, listen to him. And as often happens when God shows up in scripture, the people are frightened. Peter, James, and John fall to the ground in fear. I I even imagine them as some of the early church icons do, uh, of them turning away from the mountain and, and cowering their heads in fear. But soon enough, the voice is gone, the cloud is gone, the light is gone. Even Moses and Elijah are gone. All that's left is the voice of Jesus saying, get up. As Jesus offers them a hand and says, do not be afraid. They go back down the mountain together. The story's over. Except it's not, right? As they're going down the mountain, what does Jesus tell them? Don't say anything about this to anyone. This is what scholars call the messianic secret. That Jesus will heal someone or have this big profound teaching and say, don't don't tell anyone about this, okay? At least not yet. Why do you think Jesus says this to to Peter, James, and John as they go down the mountain? Don't tell anyone about this till after the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The secret's there because these three have seen the clearest glimpse of who Jesus really is. As Jesus is transfigured, they see who Jesus truly is as God's own beloved Son. They can never again be the same. Just as Jesus is transfigured, metamorphosized, changed, transformed, so are these three disciples. Even though they have to keep this to themselves for the time being, soon enough, all the world will know it. And as they go down the mountain, they're relieved of their fears because they have a glimpse of who God really is for them in Jesus. They know who is ultimately in control of human history. They know how the story will end, that God's word, that God's love will have the last word, 
And anything that stands in God's way ultimately doesn't stand a chance. Friends, in the transfiguration, we get a glimpse of who God is for us in Christ. When we get this light, we see the light of the transfigured Jesus. We see the light of who God really is for us, that God loves us and that God's um, will and word and power ultimately will triumph over anything that stands in God's way. Just as these three disciples were forever changed, so too are we, because we have seen a glimpse of our transfigured Lord. We've received this light of our transfigured Lord, and so we can never be the same again. So how can we shine this light? What does it look like? It looks just like what Jesus did to the three disciples, extending a hand to those around us that are in fear, that are suffering, that are facing trials and struggles, extending a hand just as Jesus did, inviting them to get up, to not be afraid, and to wander down the mountain with them into the valleys of whatever our neighbors are facing. We see this light in the world, friends. Even in these chaotic and conflicted times, we see it. This past week was quite a rough one uh, for the community of Michigan State University, a community that is near and dear to my heart. It's it's where I grew up, um, and a number of my family and friends either work or live or um, are there currently. So it was a rough week in light of, of um, the tragedy there this, this past week. But even in the midst of this tragedy, even in the midst of unthinkable loss, there were some moments of light. There were moments of people extending and shining this light for one another. I had the privilege of watching the, the prayer vigil that, that um, the university did and was moved by the president's words saying some very familiar and simple words, but powerful and needed ones as well, telling her students that it simply is okay to not be okay. And then our legendary basketball coach, Tom Izzo, addressed the, the community saying that all emotions are okay and to not be afraid to seek out the help you need. And finally, that we need to do a better job taking care of one another. So find a neighbor, a friend, a classmate who needs you and go and be beside them. Do you see that? Extending a hand just like Jesus did to the disciples, saying, don't be afraid. I am with you. I love you. As much as it pains me to admit it, even Michigan State's arch rivals, the Michigan Wolverines, extended this light to them as well. And as they played basketball against each other last night and had a very profound and moving uh, pregame uh, moment of silence and, and tribute and uh, moment of solidarity, that's a rare thing to see, but a needed one as well. Friends, we have glimpsed the light of our transfigured Lord. We can never be the same again. We know that the God we know in Jesus is with us no matter what we face. And so as Christ followers, we can extend a hand to those around us in need, inviting them to get up, to not be afraid, and committing to walk beside them into whatever valleys of life they face. Friends, may we do this. As we begin the season of Lent, may we know that God is with us no matter what we face.
because we believe in a God of love and light that shines and conquers all.